well, we had to slog through six pretty boring playoff games to get to this, but once we finally got ourselves to a great game, boy, did we get there. And then we had a pretty nice uh, follow-up as well on Sunday night. We're going to talk about some of the uh, developments in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs right here on the SI.com Fantasy Football Podcast this week. I am Michael Beller, joined not only by my co-host, Pat Fitzmorris, but by exultant Packers fan, Pat Fitzmorris. Fitz, I, I, I mean, I know you're still riding a high, but what was that game like from the perspective of a Packers fan? Because I can tell you from someone who was just invested in it from the standpoint of being a football fan, I was losing my mind with everything that was going on in that game. Oh, you say riding a high, Beller? I mean, that's fitting because I can remember virtually <laughs> no details from that Chiefs-Steelers game. And, I mean, I watched every minute, but, like, it just wasn't <laughs> registering. I was still so giddy from the Packers' result. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting game, you know. And I, uh, you know, I have to admit, maybe it wasn't the bet- better team that actually won that game. You know, I think uh, play that ten times, and, and the Packers probably don't win five games. I mean, Rodgers is, is on this crazy hot streak, but, uh, you know, the Packers have so many... So many flaws right now on the defensive side. You know, their secondary is just completely flammable. Um, you know, they're beat up. But, my God, Rodgers is just so special. And, um, you know, it, if Dallas hadn't been so disorganized for the first five to ten minutes of that game, you know, may, maybe even a little yeah. more, I guess, since the Packers scored, uh, you know, their first three possessions all drives of 75 yards or longer. But... You know, just little things like Dallas getting the, the too many men on the field, Dallas mm-hmm. having too many guys in the huddle. You know, it just seemed like, I don't know if it was the week off or, or not having uh, played a real meaningful game since week 16, but uh, Dallas just seemed a little out of it to start that one. And, uh, you know, that helped with the Packers able to hang on. But as crazy as it would have seemed when the Packers were 4-6 and, six and uh, you know, Everyone uh, administering last rites, including me, including yeah. me saying uh, Aaron Rodgers was lost. The Packers were circling the drain, and uh, here they are about to play for a Super Bowl berth. It's just inconceivable, man. I'm uh, I'm so happy. Well, I am happy uh, for you, for sure, and even being a Bears fan, uh, I feel like I found myself sitting there uh, rooting for the Packers to uh, to come out ahead just because... I don't want this uh, this ride of watching Aaron Rodgers to end. Uh, just with what he has done in this run and what he uh, did in that game uh, to to get past Dallas uh, plays that I think that you know. No offense to to Matt Ryan who's playing excellent. No offense to uh, Dak Prescott who played a great game uh, on the opposite side of Aaron Rodgers. I think a lot of those plays and certainly that very last one that set up the game-winning field goal there is exactly one quarterback playing in the NFL today who makes those plays. Yeah, the uh, the Rogers Ryan battle is going to be really interesting, and and the Falcons offense is just clicking right now. I mean, they laid mm-hmm. once they got it going, they just laid waste to the Seahawks on Saturday, and um, you know, an offense that averaged six point seven yards per play in the regular season, and you know, has has really completely hit their peak at the right time. You know, and um, it's going to be interesting because that game was. Uh, when the Falcons and Packers met in the regular season, 
Falcons win a 33-32 track meet. Um, But there were a lot of people missing on both sides. I mean, the Packers, I think, played without Clay Matthews, and uh, I think Randall Cobb was out for that one, and uh, Jared Cook was out for that one. I think the Falcons were without Tevin Coleman, and um, maybe some other people. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting rematch. And, uh, you know, we were talking about it before we uh, started recording what the over-under is. 60 yeah. and a half, <laughs> which is just unbelievable. I mean, yeah. you know, any time I see these uh, absurd totals, I'm inclined to bet the under. But, boy, I would have a hard time pulling the trigger on an under bet in this one. Yeah, that's a, that's an, an over or a stay away, I think. Because with the way these these offenses as a whole, the two quarterbacks and the defenses as a whole are playing, uh, it does have the feeling of a game where both teams are gonna, you know, be coasting into the thirties in the third quarter at some point. Let alone just you know squeaking past sixty for the entire game. It really does, and uh, you know, as terrific as the Dallas offensive line is, and uh, you know, there's good as advertised. Packers and Falcons offensive lines have just been playing mm-hmm. phenomenally lately. I mean, the pockets that the Packers have been creating for Aaron Rodgers are just, you know, absurd. He could brew a pot of coffee in the amount of time he has (laughs) to stand back there most of the time. And, uh, you know, the Falcons' offensive line, it's amazing how far they've come in a couple of years because that line was just in tatters a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, boy, that unit has just been terrific this year. Let me ask you, how confident did you feel – be honest here, once Dallas made it 28-28, what was going through your head? Twenty And 31-31 for that matter. How were you, what was the state of the uh, Packer fan at, at that point? Oh, when it got to 31-31, I mean, I felt like they're, uh, I thought they maybe had like a one in three chance to win. You know, I actually I should say, you know, when Dallas was driving down three, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. felt like the game was lost at that point you know it just the spike uh you know and i any cowboys fan listening right now i apologize for even (laughs) having to bring that up but uh jason garrett should be apologizing i think yeah that was uh that was a killer man i mean Mm -hmm. not only you know trying to save that timeout that you wound up uh you know keeping in your pocket anyway but just the just the fact that you wind up giving Rodgers extra time, and really the big one is robbing yourself of the extra down. Because at that point... For no reason. Yeah. I mean, like one more down, I feel like Dallas picks up the first down and, you know, gets a mm-hmm. couple cracks at the end zone. And at that point, you know, us trying to cover Dez and Witten and Beasley when we were having so many problems in coverage. Um, yeah, that, that was a, uh, an unfortunate decision for Jason Garrett. I'll save the discussion for how you feel about the uh, the Atlanta matchup for when we discuss uh, divisional round or ch- conference championship, excuse me, uh, DFS. But that'll be at the end of the show. What we're going to do here now is exactly what we did last week. We're going to take a look at the fantasy prospects of the four teams who lost in divisional round. And again, just like in the wild card round, a few interesting situations, a few interesting teams as a whole, a few uh, guy, a very uh, uh, sort of players I think that are going to be widely debated um, when we are doing our drafts and filling out our draft boards and making rankings uh, in the summer of 2017. 
Uh, but we're going to start off with, I think, the team that uh, that a lot of people are going to expect to be in a similar position next season, and that is the team that your Packers took down, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, this is a pretty easy uh, team to diagnose the uh, the fantasy-relevant players on. We know they're going to carry through to next year. It is just a matter of where these players are slotted. Ezekiel Elliott is probably going to be a not 100% across the board top three pick, but on average, an ADP, probably top three guy behind Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson. Des Bryant is going to be a very uh, aggressively sought-after wide receiver. But for me, the most interesting, and I think probably easy to say for everyone, the most interesting is going to be Dak Prescott and where exactly he ends up in the rankings. What are we going to be thinking when we're looking at Dak Prescott? What do you think is going to be the most important thing that you were going to be considering when you are trying to figure out where you slot him in quarterback rankings next season? You know, I mean, I think he's solidly QB1, don't you, Beller? I mean, it's just kind of a matter mm-hmm. of how you, uh, how the top few fall. I mean, I think the, the top couple, Rodgers, Brady, um, you know, Dak was a top 10 fantasy quarterback this year. And, right. you know, there's little, little reason to think that he would fall much out of the top 10 or, or top 12. Um, you know, he was just so efficient this year. Yes, it's a heavily run-based attack, but Dallas is going to run a lot of plays. And, and they do go slow. They, they run the ball a lot, and they go slow. But, uh, you know, Dak was just so efficient this year. And really, it's an offensive line that is conducive to high-efficiency quarterback play, you know. And uh, I think Dak's only going to get uh, – well, I shouldn't say only going to get better because it's possible he regresses. It wouldn't be the first time that a young quarterback backslid a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, – you know, it, it just seems like the offensive environment is so, you know, it, it's just such a nice setup for him. that uh, It really is. Yeah, you've you got to like his spot. And, um, you know, I, I think you're on the same page as far as I am philosophically with quarterbacks we don't chase. But, uh, you know, depending on how they fall and if, you know, people are, are knocking Dak just a bit, or leaving him around a little too long just because he is young, I'll happily pounce. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you on that. My inclination, however, is that it's going to be the reverse. And this is obviously, we're just speculating, uh, what, seven months out, seven and a half months out from when we're actually going to be drafting. But I think, if anything, people are going to be aggressive on him uh, because of all the reasons you said. And I understand wanting to be aggressive on him, a guy who was excellent in his first season, a guy who has a great infrastructure around him, both the line, the run game, the running back himself, uh, a true, legit number one receiver, uh, and a guy who he didn't have for well, two, three or four games this season that Des Bryant missed due to injury, uh, a few games where he wasn't quite himself, uh, you know, sort of on both sides of the injury. Uh, so I, I just think that, um, if anything, people are going to uh, you know, take that ADP and maybe aggressively jump it by a round or a round and a half rather than sit back on it where you're going to be able to get him at a discount. I do not think there's going to be uh, a discount coming on Dak Prescott, and that's understandable, but if that's the case, as you said, given our given uh, a well-held uh, uh, quarterback philosophy, it might uh, end up he might end up being a guy who uh, is just sort of priced out of where I'm trying to be at the position. 
Yeah, so like let, let's talk about some actual guys we could maybe compare him to. Like say okay. uh in Ben Roethlisberger, another guy in a, a potent offense but getting a little mm-hmm. older. Uh who do you like more tentatively for next year on your draft board? Who's higher? I I still got to go Roethlisberger. And now I, I think I would expect Roethlisberger to have an ADP that's got him a couple of rounds ahead of Prescott. So depending on where those shake out, maybe on a dollar-for-dollar dollar basis, I would prefer Prescott. But if we're just talking, and that's really all we can talk at this point, just in a vacuum, uh, I, I would prefer Roethlisberger. I still think that as long as he's as long as he's ticking and he's got Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, he is going to be a very productive quarterback. Dak or Matt Ryan? Mm. That's man, that's a clo- that that's a that is a very close one. I'll still I will I'll go Matt Ryan. I mean we can't. I mean you, you and I talked about this a lot. And we've talked about it through the season. Uh, now did we see this year coming from him? This this the sort of season, this MVP caliber season he had? No, of course not. I don't think very many people did, except maybe people who also have the last name Ryan are in his family. But you know, with we knew that last year was an anomaly. Uh, especially with the touchdown rate, and that he was still likely to be his low-end quarterback one self at the very worst. But then you have this just explosive offense that has uh, grown up around him. And as long as those guys are still in place, I mean, it would be silly to expect Matt Ryan to just put up this, what he did this year, year after year after year. But with the track record he has as the sort of quarterback he is, if that infrastructure is still surrounding him next season... I don't see why we would expect a huge regression beyond just sort of uh, standard statistical regression, and that's not even a given. You can't just have regression for regression's sake, uh, but even if you build that in, he's still going to be a- an excellent QB1. Do you think that Dak will go unanimously ahead of Cam Newton in virtually every draft <laughs> after Cam's bad year, or do you think Man, some people I think are... that'll be one where, yeah, I think that'll be a split. You, I think that will be. I think that will be split. Personally, I wonder about that. Where would, I, I guess you, I don't you think know. Dak would be unanimous. I, I'm not sure what the market is going to be on Cam next year. It's, it's going to be, be uh, one of the hardest ones to figure. I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've seen the highs, but last year was just so so bad. You know, at least, you know, from a passing standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the woeful completion percentage. Um, not the dangerous threat he was as a runner. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I would, mm-hmm. I would think that Dak would go ahead of Cam in most drafts. Maybe not all, but I think most. Ones. I will ones say this outside I, I of Charlotte, think... North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. So I don't think that Dak, or I don't think uh, I, I will not be on Cam Newton next year. I, I, I can pretty safely say that unless his draft stock just totally goes in the tank. To the point where you know you're you're happy to take a shot on him, but I still think there are going to be people who are totally awed by you know the the glory days and what Cam can do. I mean, it was just a year ago that he was the obvious, no doubt about it, MVP. So I think people are still going to be remembering that version of him. For me, the the thing that just totally saps it is that I, I just don't think we can assume that he's going to be the sort of rusher uh, that he has always been ever again. Uh, and that's really what has made him a special fantasy quarterback is everything he adds on the ground. But talking about a guy who's going to be 28 years old, who has taken a lot of hits, who takes more hits than your typical quarterback because of the fact that he runs the ball so frequently, 
I just don't think that we can expect that sort that the first five years of his career I think there's a chance that that runner is gone and if there's a chance that runner is gone and for a fantasy perspective I think you would just have to assume that he's gone and maybe it's not and you throw your hands up and you say well I was wrong on that one uh, and I lost that one but I I think that's the sort of approach that keeps you away from busts and we know how important that is so I personally would take Dak over Cam I just think that it's still going to be something that is a close to a 50-50 split you know and I an interesting thing about Dak, I wonder if he had six, I believe six rushing touchdowns this year, and uh, you know that's he wasn't really a running quarterback for the most part. You know, I mean, like his rushing mm-hmm. yardage does not scream like running quarterback. Certainly a mobile guy, but uh, you know, six touchdowns might be on the high end of what we could expect from him going yeah. forward. You know, so yeah. that's like a little, a little extra something baked into his point total for this year. And I wonder, I'm not going to say it's going to make Dak overvalued for next year, mm-hmm. but it, that might not be something that's repeatable. It might make it like just that much harder for him to match this year's totals. Well, sure. But I mean, I I think you know, we're both bullish on the, uh, you know, on, on the growth potential here um, as far as just passing I mean here's a guy who uh, you know just stepped right in in the preseason and and just seemed like such a a comfortable fit in the Dallas offense from day one so I don't know maybe that's not something to really get too worked up about but uh, I don't know if we're going to see six more rushing touchdowns Uh, yeah it's uh, it's hard to do that on 57 attempts which is what Dak had this season definitely hard but if he I mean if he if he does basically what he did this season through the air with a we'll say a step forward a modest step projectable step forward because of the player that he showed that he was in his rookie year getting older getting more comfortable getting Des Bryant for hopefully 16 games uh he could come back to two or three rushing touchdowns and I don't think lose any of his fantasy production agreed agreed so we're let me ask you this, uh, so we can wrap up Dallas quickly here. Uh, how many wide receivers will you for sure have over Des Bryant? Uh, Antonio Brown, Odell. Um, boy, I mean, that's that's the interesting thing. Like, I don't think there's – I'll probably have – I'll probably put him behind A.J. Green. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably put him behind, believe it or not, T.Y. Hilton. Ooh, I think okay. I'd rather have T.Y. Hilton. Um, Mike Evans? Yeah, I think behind Evans. Um, I, I think he's probably going to come down in like the seven, eight, nine range for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's going to be like solidly high second round in a PPR and like, you know, maybe back end of the second round in a standard league. What about you? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think I might be... A little higher on him just because um, he is just such a proven touchdown scorer and we I, we yes. always talk about how volatile of a statistic receiving touchdowns is and that's true it is but I mean he is just I mean 12 13 16 before the injury basically cost I mean I know he played nine games but how much value was there in those nine games given his injury and then Romo's injury last season and then this year just thir- eight touchdowns in 13 games I mean he is basically, when it comes to touchdowns, he's the opposite of Julio Jones. 
you know, Julio Jones and Andre Johnson. I mean, we've seen guys over the years who, for whatever reason, despite the, all the talent in the world, just get shut out of the end zone. And Dez is at the opposite end of that spectrum. And when you do what he's done in the touchdown department for as long as he's done it, I'm willing to say that even if I can't see it and identify it and say, there, that's why, it's a skill for him. Getting into the end zone is a skill where it seems like that isn't really a skill for wide receivers. But for Des Bryant, I think he's proven that it is. Um, so for me, I, I mean, I, I I would have him over T.Y. I will probably have A.J. Green ahead of him. I will probably have Mike Evans ahead of him. But uh, I think Des Bryant is probably a late first-round pick for me, no matter the format, just because I, I know if the dude's healthy, he's given me, I, I think, 11 or 12 touchdowns as a floor. And I can't argue with that because he's a phenomenal player. I guess the only drawbacks are that it is not a pass-heavy offense and that mm-hmm. I think Dak has shown that he is willing to distribute the ball and take what the defense gives him. And yeah. you don't really see him force the ball to Des the way, say, Jameis Winston forces it to Evans or sure. you know the way that Dalton just peppers A.J. Green with targets. Um, yeah. I don't think you're going to get that with Dez, but, you know, squarely in the top ten, no question about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Beller, before we leave the Cowboys, we gotta we got to talk about Romo for a second, don't we? <laughs> I mean, sure. what, let's just play the, the hypothetical parlor game here and say, what if Tony Romo goes to your beloved hometown, Chicago Bears? <laughs> I mean, maybe uh, maybe that's not the most likely destination. I think a lot of people uh, are, uh, you know, seeing Denver as a possible love connection. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I think maybe the Bears could be in play, too. Um, so I'll, I'll take the pressure off you as the, a homer. We'll start with Denver. What if, what if he goes to Denver and it's Romo throwing to Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders? Where approximately do you think he slots in your quarterback list? Low end one. Low end Low one. End that high. Yeah, I. I mean, I think that you know Tony Romo. I. I, I would have to be concerned. I would definitely want to see some preseason action for him and see how uh, the shoulder and the collarbone look since it's uh, since it's an injury we know he's had a few times. Um, but he is basically at least. I mean pretty much from a real-life perspective, but certainly from a fantasy perspective, the guy has always produced when he's been healthy. You give him uh, uh, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. You give him that defense on the other side, giving him plenty of possessions. I think he would thrive uh, in Denver, and I think he would uh, be a pretty dangerous guy in Houston as well. I see those as two of the best fantasy and real-life fits for Tony Romo. That's interesting. I... uh... Not ahead of Dak, though, for you. No, 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 I don't think so. But I would be – I that's a guy who, in a traditional 1QB league, uh, I would be perfectly happy to sit back and get a Denver Bronco Tony Romo and pair him with another guy in that neighborhood uh, and go into the season with those as my fantasy quarterbacks. Yeah, for me, for me, he would be more of a QB, too. And, you know, I've, I have um, – I've always, I think, given him uh, proper credit and then some in preseason ratings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think he's a terrific player. Have the utmost respect for him and his game. And uh, you know, if he can make it through a season healthy, 
I think we'll probably see QB1 numbers. But what are the odds at this point, man? Right. I mean, getting older, not going to have a line as good as the Cowboys' offensive line, most mm-hmm. likely. Um, I just worry about the guy's ability to make it through a season. And I know that if you lose him, it's not like you come up empty. You know, you've still got quarterback is such a fungible position to begin with and uh, fairly easy to find replacements. But I, I think I'm still going to be fairly cautious with him. Uh, wherever he winds up, and I I couldn't see taking him in the quarterback one range, maybe high end QB two, but I'm just I would not be ready to take him as like a top twelve quarterback. I just don't know if I could do that. We'll have to circle back uh, depending on where he lands and see uh, if we can talk about him again because I do think if you get him in the right, and I do think Denver and Houston. I mean, you give him give him DeAndre Hopkins, give him year two of Will Fuller, Will Fuller and R Miller. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's another team where he could be dangerous. Uh, those are the two teams that I would like to see him end up with. I'd like to see him end up in one of those two cities um, because I do think that he could be a, a, a have a, another year or two in him uh, playing with one of those two teams. Let's move on to the Seattle Seahawks now fits the other NFC team that lost this week. That game would have been mighty interesting. It leaves a little bit more interesting. It would have been fun to see Atlanta uh, have to come back had – the uh, Devin Hester punt return not been uh, oh. called back on a holding call because you're setting them up. I mean, we can if we assume they score a touchdown. Now it's seventeen seven instead of right after that. The Atlanta gets a safety and then they go get a field goal, and so now it's twelve ten in, in a game that very easily could have been seventeen seven. I still think that Atlanta's offense uh, would have figured out things and, and still come away with the win, but it would have been fun to see them fight back. That's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about Seattle, so. This is a team that, to me, is very interesting because um, you know we saw a an offensive regression across the board. Uh, I think maybe that could have been expected in some ways when you uh, lose a guy like Marshawn Lynch, but this offensive line was a huge issue all season, and it really sapped or contributed to the sapping of Russell Wilson's value. So let's start there with Wilson. you got to assume that the Seahawks are going to make some improvements to the offensive line during the offseason. But where do we – I mean, he is he still someone that if we – let's just assume some sort of modest improvements along the line for Seattle, can we project him into the top five or seven fantasy quarterbacks still? I want to, and I'm, I'm probably going to you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. But I certainly will be interested to see what Seattle does in the offseason. Do they add another mm-hmm. receiver? Do they, you know – stock up on that offensive line or do they just continue adhering to this you know interesting and questionable organizational philosophy of just letting Tom Cable make uh, a, attempt to make chicken salad out of chicken you know what and uh, <laughs> you know I mean that was really to their downfall this year I mean like certainly Yes, George Fant is an interesting left tackle prospect, and maybe he's going to be an all-pro in three years, but um, just what they put out there, (laughs) it didn't work this year, you know? And, I mean, it really... uh, Wilson has been scrambling for his life for, like, the last two years. And, um, you know, I mean, he's a guy who can make things happen out of the pocket, but, God, you've got to give this guy some protection and actually let him... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, look for open receivers without having to run for his life 
every once in a while. So I don't know, man. I, I am tentatively going to say that yes, maybe he's just like a tick. I'd probably like squeeze him somewhere in between like Matt Ryan and Dak Prescott. That's what I'm thinking. Like, you know, Matt Ryan is probably top five. Dak is top ten. And for me, Russ is probably going to slot in there like, I don't know, seven or eight, maybe. Yeah. I can get on board with that. I mean, for everything that happened to him this year. So he uh, gets hurt right off the bat this season. Two separate leg injuries really changed who he could be as a runner, basically for the entire season. Um, Had a terrible offensive line uh, and still ends up as the number 13 overall quarterback, at least in terms of total points. Uh, he did play all 16 games. Obviously, that's going to help him. So, But, it, you know, it puts things in perspective for you. I mean, he scored more points than Cam Newton. He scored more points than uh, Derek Carr. Uh, he scored more points than Carson Palmer. So, despite all these things going wrong, and it, wasn't, it was not a great season by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, scored the exact same number of points as Marcus Mariota. So despite everything around him uh, going basically as poorly as it could have, still had a decent enough year. Not the year anyone was expecting from him, certainly not a year that turned a profit at his ADP, but it wasn't like a complete disaster. So I think that Seattle has to, I think, make some sort of investment. I know that, like you said, uh, an organizational philosophy that uh, they think they have you know used to some effect in the past but with what has happened the last two seasons I would think that they would uh have a moment where they are now going to make some more investments into that uh, into their offensive line uh and assuming that I think we get Russell Wilson back uh maybe not to the heights of 2015 but back into the safe quarterback one land and I think you know sort of diagnosing a uh in between Matt Ryan and Dak Prescott not top five but comfortably top 10 is a good place uh, to peg Russell Wilson for the time being. Yeah, that that sounds dead on. And as far as the pass catchers, I mean, can we agree that Baldwin is pretty pretty easy to slot as like a high-end wide receiver, high to mid-end wide receiver too, I guess? High-end mid wide receiver too, somewhere yeah. in the somewhere in the 13 to 17 range maybe. He is who he is, and who that is is very, very good. Not quite great, not quite the consistency that we know he's going to be a top 10 receiver, but too good to fall outside like the top 15. And I think that that's, I think he's one of the easiest guys in the entire league to figure out uh, where he should be in uh, both positional and overall rankings next season. All right. And so we, we know that, you know, Javon Curse and, uh, Jermaine. Paul, Javon Curse is a wide oh, receiver. Yeah, would be very interesting. Good Lord. Jermaine. <laughs> yes. Uh, sorry for the slip up. So, uh, Curse and Richardson, uh, you know, even though Richardson uh, has, has shown some intriguing flashes in the playoffs, uh-huh. I, don't, I don't think either of those guys are getting drafted in conventional fantasy leagues next year. No, they got to convince, convince Paul Richardson that it's January every month of the season. No kidding. No kidding, man. <laughs> so, what do we think about Lockett? For next year, I am I'm off of the rest of Seattle. I'm off of Lockett. I'm off of Rawls. Uh, those are two guys who I didn't like this year, and injuries were an issue for both of them. And of course, the offensive line, same offensive line that hurts Russ, hurts Rawls, and it hurts Lockett. But those are two guys who, so they're going to be someone else's, I think, problem uh, next season. I just, I just don't see, 
I don't see the skill set from Tyler Lockett necessary to be a consistent fantasy producing wide receiver. He's going to have his games. He's going to pop some big plays. Um, but for me, he's a he's a better Tavon Austin. He's like he's a rosterable Tavon Austin, where you can have him on the back end of your bench, and you can feel decent about putting him into your lineup if you've got buys. And hopefully, when your regulars are on buy, that's the Tyler. That's to his big week or one of his three solid weeks. Uh, but other than that, I just don't think there's a place for him. Yeah. I guess I'm a little more uh, bullish on him than you are, Beller. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know that he's ever going to, at least maybe not in the next year or two, it, it doesn't strike me that he's going to be a guy you're going to be looking to put in there as a wide receiver too at any point in the near future, but I think he's got a little more potential than that. I was kind of intrigued by the fact that after, you know, he, he was hurt early in the season. I think it took him a while to sort of get over the injuries that he opened the year with. And there was a point where he did kind of come on a little bit. It wasn't, you know, a, a pure outburst. You know, it wasn't like uh, Richard Matthews where all of a sudden he just detonated and was scoring touchdowns every week. But his numbers did make a decisive upturn. And I just don't know if, Seattle is committed to giving him the snaps he would need to be, uh, you know, a, a start a uh, like a regular starting caliber player, rather than someone who maybe you can have pinch hit for you if someone's on buy or hurt. You know, right? I think he's going to be, you know, a wide receiver four type next year. I I think that's probably where he lands is people drafting him to be like a fourth receiver. A guy with a little bit of upside who, you know, if he if he pops, could be you can make a nice profit on him. But I, I agree. I mean, the the limits on him are, you know, even if he goes off in the preseason, I don't know that his ADP is going to go through the roof, um, yeah. or that the optimism is going to match what it did this year. Um, you know, Matt Harmon over at NFL.com who. A lot of people uh, were paying heed to this year after he totally knocked his Allen Robinson call out of the park in 2015. I mean, he was bullish on Lockett this year. It didn't quite work out, but um, you know, I, I think he's still an intriguing guy. But you know, that's also kind of going to depend on what Seattle does. Do they add a receiver in the draft? Do they sign someone? Um, you know. I'm I'm intrigued by him though. I mean, he's definitely going to be on the radar as as a guy I'm looking at in the late rounds as a a guy with some upside. Yeah, I, I mean, I th- I think I, I see the upside there. I mean, we saw it from him as a rookie, um, and as you said, injuries definitely hampered him uh, during the season. But I mean, I just I, I for for me, it's just a guy who I, I just don't see. I. The ups- okay, let me start this again. The upside is certainly there. I just don't like betting on guys with that sort of skill set or who are so entirely big play dependent just because the light can go out just like that, and then maybe they don't find it again for a while. I mean, we sort of saw it these last uh, five or six weeks with uh, Tyreek Hill. And, you know, we're not quite on the Chiefs yet, but, you know, Tyreek Hill like, takes the league by storm and is, you know, doing everything on the field for the Chiefs. And then the last few weeks, totally taken out of game plans. I mean, uh, there was uh, 
he had a game late in the season, I can't remember exactly which game it was, where he did nothing as a receiver, uh, and he gave you a 70-yard touchdown run. And if he didn't give you that, uh, you know, you get nothing. And I know you can't just say, oh, if he didn't do this, like, of course, well, he did it. That's part of his skill set. He did it. But it just shows, it goes to show the precarious nature of any player who is dependent on popping big plays for their entire fantasy production. Right. Those are just guys who I don't like, and even as a wide receiver four, that's just too much for me for a player of that ilk. Yeah, and we've seen how this offense operates. They are not going to pepper him with targets a la Mm -hmm. Jarvis Landry, another undersized receiver. I mean, I think, and realistically, I mean, I'm I'm looking at Tyler Lockett as potentially like a middle-class Brandon Cooks. You know, mm-hmm. not not a poor man's Brandon Cooks, but maybe a middle class or lower middle <laughs> class Brandon Cooks. So you know, that's that's an upside swing I'm willing to take, like as my fourth receiver. You know, so what about how uh, about Thomas Rawls? Yeah, the running backs. Now this is interesting. I mean, Thomas Rawls and C.J. Procise, I think collectively are going to have. I think these guys are going to generate a lot of heat in drafts combined mm-hmm. next year, and. I don't know if these guys are going to live up to what their ADPs come out to. I mean, I, I guess, I think both of them are going to be um, a little overvalued. That's that's kind of what I'm seeing. Um, you know, because I think Procise, I think to me, he is the guy I would rather take a shot with. I mean, I loved sure. I loved what he showed us in you know, brief glimpses and, um, you know, the potential as a receiver, obviously having played wide receiver at Notre Dame. Um, you know, he can be a really interesting run-catch threat with home run hitting ability. Um, you know, and then Rawls had that uber-efficient 2015 season and, you know, what he did in the wild card round. Um, you know, there's, there's something to like there also, but again offensive line a big problem um Mm -hmm. you know i I don't know if it's going to be one guy getting a big enough market share of the touches to uh you know really pay off at what could be inflated adps i I have a feeling it's going to be one of those situations where i'm just going to want to stay away from both because i think they're both going to get plucked a little too high are you are you kind of feeling that I am. I think one of the one of the key things that every fantasy owner has to do is find a couple of uh, really risky situations and, and just stay away from them. And sometimes it's going to backfire, and sometimes that that situation is going to turn out well. And you took them off your board in July, and you didn't even have a shot at them because you weren't looking at them at all. But I think more often than not, uh, avoiding those obviously high risk situations. You know, I think if if you hit correctly on like three out of five of those, you're coming out with a net gain. Right. And that's one of those situations that I think is just going to be such a risk. I, I mean, I think it has potential to be like Legarrette Blunt and Deion Lewis, but not as good collectively or individually. And it's just going to be a situation where may where it's going to it's could be hard to know which one's going to be the one that week, and if they're going to do any hot hand stuff, and if um if they're even going to produce, and it's just going to be a situation. I, I feel I fear the likelihood of it devolving into a situation where no matter what you don't feel good about having either of them in your lineup yeah and it's it's just tough because i mean Procise really flashed this year rawls was really that good in 2015 i mean both of those things were you know i i think they're 
the talent with both of these guys is is real, but I just don't know if the situation is going to warrant um, what I am perceiving to be inflated prices that we're going to mm-hmm. see for 2017. So, uh, should we touch on uh, Jimmy Graham real quickly? Yeah, yeah. Where do we think? Yeah, is, I, so he's he's top five. Do you think he winds up slotting uh, right behind uh, Gronk and Kelsey? Yeah, I think he's going to be right up there with those guys. Um, maybe not. The, the tight end position, as we talked about last week, is just such a mess. Um, and it's going to be, again, I, I think in 2017. Uh, so I do think that he... Hmm, yeah, maybe maybe there's still some love for Greg Olson. Uh, but I don't think we see Jimmy Graham you know, go much later than fourth in almost any fantasy draft this season. Yeah. I think that those... I feel better saying that those four are your top four than Gronk, Kelsey, and Graham being your top three. Yeah, so that that's the thing. I, I don't think people are going to force Gronk the way they used to. But yeah. something tells me, though, uh, you know, perceiving this shortage of tight ends, that once they go, those top four are going to go, you know, pretty lickety split one after the other like not you know I'm not talking about in the course of like six picks all four of them go but I don't think um you know I kind of think three and four might get pushed up I think Olsen and uh Graham and maybe Jordan Reed get bumped up Mm -hmm. a little um you know I just think people are going to see it as a game of musical chairs and they they don't want to be without one of those you know five or maybe if you want to throw an Eifert um you know, top six tight ends. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I could be wrong about that, but I worry that, uh, you know, someone like Graham is going to maybe get bumped up a little too much. And it was certainly encouraging that he came back so strong from, uh, you know, devastating. The, the patella injuries have just been, you know, career-ending in so many cases, or at least, uh, you know, have rendered guys very much ineffective. Came back strong. Um, you know, I just don't know if uh, tight end is really, if tight ends in Seattle are, are treated the way, uh, you know, given the sort of target load that Gronkowski has seen, that Greg Olson has seen. Um, I don't know. Do you do you kind of feel that too? That there's like a that Graham just isn't considered like a premium part of their offense. That he's almost an afterthought sometimes. Um, I, I, I'm not quite there. Um, I, I think that, you know, that was definitely the case in 2015. Uh, and then he had the injury, uh, as he was starting to come on a little bit in 2015, he suffered that injury. And then this year, uh, just uh, that whole offense sort of had to figure, had to rejigger things on the fly because of, uh, what had gone on with the, with the offensive line and you lose Thomas Rawls. So I think that you know there was that that offense was sort of a work in progress all season. I think if things are a little bit steadier from the get go next year, that we'll see uh, a little bit more of a consistent presence uh, from Graham. I just think that there, I, I, for me, for me, any of those tight ends at what we're going to guess their ADP is is going to be a hard sell. Uh, I, I think I would rather wait for the back end of the position and take my shot on. You know, a couple guys we talked about last week, Kyle Rudolph, Hunter Henry, and, and take a shot on, you know, hoping one of those guys pops this year. Maybe Delaney Walker is uh, a much cheaper guy next season. I just think that all those tight ends 
with the exception possibly of Travis Kelsey, and yes, I'm including Gronk in the bad group, are just going to be overpriced because of um, scarce resources and people just, as you said, wanting to you know make sure that they don't lose out on one of those uh, players who's perceived as one of the safe picks at the position. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, Travis Kelsey's team next up for us here, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, this is this is another one that uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be. I mean, Kelsey, Kelsey's the fun one here because I mean Tyreek Hill, Jeremy Macklin, the running back position. Uh, there's gonna be a wide range, I think, uh, of thoughts on Kansas City. Everyone is gonna be pretty safe on Kelsey. Is there any way that you would consider Kelsey over Gronk? Straight up, I think Kelsey's definitely gonna be better ADP. Would you consider him straight up as the best tight end in the NFL next season? I don't think I could, just because the touchdown. Uh, I don't think Kelsey is ever going to be a prolific touchdown scorer with the Chiefs. Just not meant mm-hmm. to be in that offense. Um, terrific player on another team. He could easily drop double-digit touchdowns. I just don't see it happening with the Chiefs. What do you think? Okay. I think that's uh, a fair assessment. I mean, we know who this team is. This did not, nothing's changing, really, with this team. They've had success doing what they've done. So it would be silly to expect, you know, these uh, these particular uh, uh, Tigers to get new stripes during the offseason. I do not think uh, that we're going to see that. But I do think, I mean, I, so I'm with you. I agree Gronk has to still be considered the best tight end. I think uh, dollar for dollar, you know, assuming that we're right on the ADP projections we're loosely talking here, I mean, give me Kelsey all day at his ADP over Gronk at his. Yeah. Um, well, I... I guess, unless, I, I think it's possible that the ADP gap between those two really shrinks next year. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm perceiving a bigger drop-off in Gronkowski's ADP than we're actually going to see in a, a lot of people. I guess it only takes one person in every draft to talk themselves into Gronk in the second yeah. round, you know? But uh, yeah, I think you'll have multiple people willing to take him in the second round too. Yeah, but I also I also think that a lot of people will see 2016 as Kelsey's arrival, and um, you know they're they're certainly going to be impressed when they look at that yardage total. And yep, absolutely, I just don't know if there's enough touchdown upside to warrant, um, you know what what's probably going to have to be a little bit of a reach to get him. Mm-hmm. Is it Gronk, Kelsey, and the rest at this position, or are those guys who we were just talking about, Graham, uh, Greg Olson, Jordan Reed, are they worthy of being thought of as in the same tier? I mean, I think those two are one, two, and and the other three are, um, you know, not far behind. Um, boy, whether that's one tier or two, I'm I'm not sure. Maybe there's a, a half tier separation. How do you mm-hmm. how do you see that? I see it more as a like a, a line of demarcation yeah. for me. I think Gronk and Kelsey are a safe one too. Then we take a step down, and then boom, boom, boom. Graham, Olson, Reed, all right there. A group who I could you know potentially be completely flipped on uh, by next summer. Uh, but guys who are right uh, close to each other. But I think they're still they are they can look up and they can see. Kelsey and Gronkowski. They don't have to look to the side. They can look straight up and see those guys. I agree. That's a uh, that's more of a gentle slope. That is not a black diamond run type drop off. <laughs> so uh, yeah. 
What about, I'll give you a quick take, and I mean this is my view of the Kansas City receivers in a nutshell. I think Tyreek Hill is going to be overvalued next year. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, we saw the targets plummet. I mean, Lord knows the guy is electrifying with the ball in his hands, but I don't know how many touches he's going to get next season. And I think Jeremy Macklin is going to be somewhat undervalued. Um, you know, maybe we are not, certainly I know I overdrafted him in a couple of leagues this year, and uh, he's not going to have the same juice as far as ADP goes next year, but I mean, I still think he can be a pretty effective go-to number one wide receiver. And I mean, I guess go-to is sort of a relative thing in the Kansas City offense, where they're also mm-hmm. throwing the Travis Kelsey quite a bit. Um, but I, I do think Macklin is, uh, you know, going to be like undervalued as as maybe a wide receiver three or maybe even four, depending on uh, how we've seen in your draft room. Yeah, I I am based in basic agreement with those two things. I'm in complete agreement actually on Tyreek Hill. I mean, he is going to be so overvalued with uh, the the I mean everything that, that goes into uh, why guys are drafting fantasy leagues. I mean, he's got the big plays. He's got a, a fun name. People, no matter who, no matter the the worst fantasy owner in your league knows for sure who Tyreek Hill is, uh, how good he was, how explosive he is, how dangerous he can be. I mean, everyone knows what Tyreek Hill uh, is about on the football field. And again, I mean, it's he's you know he's not Tyler Lockett to a T, but it's the same sort of thought. I mean, it's a different branch of the same tree. It's uh, a guy who is very dependent on those big plays, and I don't think it's a huge surprise that once he was really out there and once he was making play after play, week after week, and teams really started scheming for him, you saw his touches go down, you saw his targets fall off a cliff, and you saw his production come down to the point where he was completely taken out uh, of that game uh, against the Steelers in the divisional round. So he's someone who I'm going to have absolutely zero. In- I mean, I- even at a discount, I can't imagine myself uh, really being all that into Tyreek Hill. Jeremy Macklin, I, I basically agree with you. I, I think he's a-, a fine player, a guy who... Uh, you know, uh, made his way to uh, some really uh, gaudy statistical seasons, uh, maybe largely on volume that he's not going to see next season. But I still think that because of just how bad this year was for him, that generally he's going to be an undervalued guy. He's a guy who I would, you know, be pretty happy with if I could get him as my fourth wide receiver. Sure. And maybe I can't. I mean, we'll see that. We'll see how realistic that is. But I feel like that's going to be in his wheelhouse, and he's someone who I would be perfectly happy with as my number four this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. He's uh, definitely a value pick, not someone you're really planning your wide receiver core around, but, um, you know, an interesting depth addition. What about running back? I mean, that's where Spencer Mm -hmm. Ware is really a guy who perplexes me, to be totally honest with you. Um, You know, just, like, the more... I get the more I saw of him, the less impressed I got. You know, like mm-hmm. sparingly early on, like in the preseason, I thought he looked fantastic. Early in the year, and then just I, I don't know if he's a guy who you know the more the more exposure he got, the easier he was to stop. It was just kind of strange with him. I mean, what do you what do you think? Like I I think there there's potential there, but I just 
I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, running back two, where do you see him? Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, that's probably where he's going to be. He's someone who, especially at the running back position, I mean, I, I just think he's going to – he's just so – I mean, I, I feel like the the tone of our voice right now says everything you need to know about Spencer Ware. He just like the, – the way people talk about him, he sounds underwhelming. He sounds bland and boring and inconsistent. Uh, 11.5 points per game this season. Out, Mark Ingram was more, Tevin Coleman, C.J. Anderson, who wasn't particularly great in the seven games he played, he had more. Uh, Latavius Murray comfortably had more points per game than than Spencer Ware. I mean, you know, he had one 100-yard game despite being the guy for Kansas City pretty much all season. Uh, I mean, the last – I mean, l- listen to these last – let's go back to – let's just take – sort of throw a dart and take a random Thanksgiving as our – uh, jumping off point here, 64 yards, 29 yards, 56 yards, 69 yards, 62 yards, and then in the playoff game, 35 yards. I mean, he does some good work as a receiver, but man, I mean, talking me into taking him as a fourth-round running back, I'll, I'll pass. I just don't see it for him. And if, if Charles is back, if, if it's yeah. still the same backfield with, Charles and where I mean I guess where probably isn't even a running back to in that situation is Charles mm-hmm. a running back to I mean you could definitely talk me into Jamal Charles more than you could do uh, to Spencer Ware if I'm being perfectly honest with you I just think that I mean obviously you're taking a sort of a blind shot on a guy who's got a big injury history at this stage of his career but we all know what Jamal Charles is and was when he was himself and even if that guy is gone, and even if that guy does not exist anymore, I mean, give me a... I, I, mean, I would take like a 75% Jamal Charles uh, in a vacuum over Spencer Ware, over a 100% Spencer Ware. And you're not going to have to pay the same price for those guys. Jamal Charles is going to be, I think, the inexpensive one of the two. And I just think that he's the one who, if I'm taking a shot in that backfield, I'm taking that shot on Jamal Charles. Yeah, this might be like another uh, Seattle backfield for me where I'm just mm-hmm. kind of, uh, I opt to just stay away, I think. It um, could be a similar sort of team situation where I, I either get Kelsey if the price feels right or I get no one from Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Charles, I, I don't know, like, are we finally going to see a discount on Charles? Like, I, I feel like there's still such name brand, uh, such brand recognition mm-hmm. there that yeah, I'm, I'm that's true. not sure we're going to see any bargain even coming off if, you know two lost years basically I mean I would hope that we've gotten to a point where everyone understands that you can't that injury optimism is not something that you want to have uh, but I guess I mean if we don't then I won't be having him but I think this is going to finally be the time like two straight lost seasons basically uh, two ACL surgeries in his past uh, uh, the second one you know, complicated his entire following season. I think that we, I would be willing to bet that we finally do see the Jamal Charles discount this year. He's going to be what thirty years old, I believe, this season as well. I think we finally see the uh, Jamal Charles discount arrive here in twenty seventeen. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Especially if Ware is around and people are talking about him as you know threatening to take over the role or uh, yeah. you know, relegate Charles to you know a supporting role, but. Yeah, I guess we will know more about this one. That's going to be an interesting one to see develop in the offseason. All right, Fitz, last team here, the Houston Texans. 
Um, how excited can we be about DeAndre Hopkins and Lamar Miller if it's still Brock Osweiler or Tom Savage as this team's quarterback? I just I don't think it's going to be Brock, and we saw Hopkins thrive when it was Brian Hoyer. We saw him you know, get a brief jolt of life when Savage replaced Osweiler. So, you know, I think Nuke is still a wide receiver one. Maybe uh, a end of the end of the tier wide receiver one in the 11 or 12 mm-hmm. range but you know I, I still I'd still be willing to take a pretty early shot at him I think you know I, I like I don't have any questions about the player and um, you know I don't think the situation could be any worse than it was with Brock Osweiler quarterback <laughs> what yeah. about you yeah uh, to all the guys we talked about earlier uh, AJ Green uh, T.Y. Hilton Des Bryant, Mike Evans. I'm taking those guys over Hopkins if he's got the same quarterback situation, but then he's right there. And he's right there not just at the wide receiver position, but overall. So for me, still a wide receiver one, still an early to mid-second round pick, still someone who I will be very excited about if he ends up on any or all of my 2017 teams. Like you said, we've already seen it from him with Brian Hoyer. This is not a guy who needs uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers to be throwing him the ball to be a good wide receiver. He can do it with basically anyone who isn't Brock Osweiler. Uh, so I'm definitely willing to take another run at DeAndre Hopkins next season. Where are you and Will Fuller? I mean, he uh, got off to such a nice start, and then it just kind of fizzled out, although, you know, not entirely his fault. Um, the passing game was broken. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think he's... Certainly not a starting caliber guy, but do you think he's like wide receiver four material? Yeah, I would like him as a as a target. I would like him as a late round target. Like I, I'll target him over Tyler Lockett. Um, yeah, I would. He's he's going to be someone who I think is in my wheelhouse as uh, wide receiver depth that I think has the upside to turn into a semi regular starter. Um, like you said, when we saw it from him early in the season, we know the guy has deep ball skills. Uh, we know he's got speed, so I think that he's someone who I'm definitely willing to take a chance on uh, as a wide receiver 4-5. Uh, I think he's got the upside to turn into a wide receiver 2-3, like I said, a semi-regular starter, uh, and I think that's what you want to be searching for in that neighborhood. Uh, you want to be searching for guys, and I feel like people too often get caught up in you know, hoping that they find the wide receiver five who turns into a wide receiver one, hoping that they find like Terrell Pryor this year, for example. Um, and there's a lot of value in just finding a guy who can be a, you know, semi-regular starter, to use the term again. And I think that Will Fuller showed us enough as a rookie uh, that we can uh, sort of slot him uh, as having that sort of potential. So he's someone who I will definitely have uh, on my uh, draft boards going into next summer. Yeah, when I said wide receiver four, I know it sounds like kind of a diss, and it's just, uh, you know, I like the player, it's just simply a matter of him being on a team that's deficient at quarterback, and he's a second fiddle, you know, behind right. a, a top receiver. So, uh, I do like the player, and, um, you know, I, I just don't know if he is going to uh, eat consistently on a weekly basis mm-hmm. with uh, that sort of environment. But um, So, what about Lamar Miller? Is could it be possible that Joe Philbin was not the idiot that everyone <laughs> thought he was, and that in oh, fact man. Lamar Miller was not meant to be a bell cow running back? 
I mean, because here's a guy who always used very judiciously in Miami, and everyone's screaming for Philbin to unleash the guy. And this year he was unleashed. He got uh, all he got the all you can eat buffet, and uh, it proved to be a little too much for him. The efficiency really plummeted, and. He was not the uh, top-end RB1 that a lot of people were hoping he was going to be. Yeah, well, you're talking to a guy who uh, said he was going to be the number one overall running back this season. So uh, I definitely was in that, uh, holy cow, Joe Philbin's a moron camp. But I think after year one of Lamar as bell cow in Houston, we have to at least say that, yes, it is possible that he's not cut out for it. Um, Everything that we talk about with Houston comes with the Brock caveat. Uh, but I do think that after year one, you know, just it was a slog all season for Lamar Miller. He, we didn't see, uh, you know, consistent big plays from him. We didn't see, you know, much breakaway ability. He uh, sort of fell short, at least for me, uh, in the uh, running back um, area, or excuse me, in the receiving area. It was just a, a situation where he uh, really fell way short of expectations, and it's something that it's going to have me – uh, it's obviously not as bullish on him next year, but even wondering if he's going to be palatable at all at his draft slot. I do like the player still. He showed too much in Miami for him to completely be a uh, a bust. And this year, I mean, you know, health is something that is valuable at the running back position. He has been a healthy guy for his career, uh, but. It's going to be interesting, and I, I think he could benefit from a QB change nearly as much as Hopkins. Definitely. And, um, you know, I although it was largely a disappointing year for him, you know, I, I didn't lose any respect for the guy. I mean, he took a pounding this year, and he played yeah. through, you know, a variety of, of somewhat minor injuries. I mean, he just kind of kept injuries that would shelve lesser guys he he mm-hmm. kept battling through and um you know so I, he definitely uh earned a measure of respect i think with his performance this year although yeah. you know he didn't uh necessarily sell you on his uh, rb1 talents i mean i think he showed that he's a guy who's going to tough it out for you at least so that that's to be said for him but uh you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's a, that's a skill in this day and age at the running back position from a fantasy perspective. I mean, how many guys have we seen? I mean, Latavius Murray did it in 2015. Frank Gore sort of made a life of it. I mean, if you can just have a guy who stays upright for 14 to 16 games and gives you, a, a, what, like 1,300 total yards and seven or eight touchdowns, I mean, that's a solid contributor at the running back position the way the NFL is played today. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's hard to see where there's going to be any threat to his job next year either. Yep. I mean, yep. Tyler Irvin, who some people thought, you know, might have some uh, sneaky sleeper potential, did not pan out as a rookie. Um, you know, Alfred Blue, I don't think, is a, a lead guy. That's been proven. Uh, we know mm-hmm. that. You know, Jonathan Grimes, an interesting uh, pass-catching, change-of-pace guy, but, you know, maybe not RB1 material. Um yeah, so he's going to be in largely the same sort of position, I think, next year. And, um, you know, I, I would definitely consider him as an RB2, but, you know, maybe not as an RB1. 
he's the he, I think he's uh, maybe of all the people we've talked about uh, maybe him and Dak probably the most fun guys to play the would you rather game with so I'm gonna you got you got me on Dak so I'm gonna get you here on Lamar Miller all right uh, Lamar Miller or Latavius Murray I think I'm going Lamar there I just uh, I think I see more carries for Lamar um, I, I see more of a threat to Latavius, to Murray's workload from the running backs behind him. So I'll, I'll stick with Lamar there. Okay, how about Lamar Miller or Carlos Hyde? I think Hyde. I, I like what we've seen from Hyde whenever he's, whenever he's been healthy. I mean, I think he's more of a difference maker. That, that team, do you, what, if, what if it's totally status quo and you're fine with that? It would say... And, you know, nothing, no big changes, no real substantive changes for the 49ers. Um, and Dal and Houston is going with Tom Savage. Yeah. Um, you know, even though the, the 49er offense was kind of a train wreck, I mean, Hyde, his touchdowns really tapered off. He did not score many or really any touchdowns over like the last month and a half of the season mm-hmm. or so, but like he put up some pretty impressive yardage totals. So he did. Um, you know the the season that Hyde had didn't really diminish his um, status at all in my eyes. So yeah, I I do think he's going to be a little ahead of Miller on my draft board. Okay, two more: Lamar Miller or Todd Gurley. Oh man, that's really hard. I'm gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna say Gurley with the new regime. I mean, yeah. And please, please let them pump some <laughs> draft capital into that offensive line yeah. because uh, <laughs> it is in need of infrastructure repairs. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, last one, Lamar Miller or Tevin Coleman? Ooh, that's an interesting one. I got to go, well, I mean, we don't we don't think Coleman and and Freeman are still both going to be in Atlanta next year, do we? I mean, what not someone a free agent? I think Freeman's a free agent, right? Um, He's in the league a year before. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I got to go with Miller there. Coleman's exciting. I mean, if Coleman gets an RB1, a lead running back job somewhere, Coleman vaults ahead. But for now, I think I got to go with Miller just on volume. All right. That, that, that's a fun little exercise. It's good to you know get, be put on, your, put on the spot and have to think about that. What about you? Would your answers have matched? Or would you have different um, those? No, I I would I, I think Lamar Miller pretty comfortably over Latavius Gurley pretty comfortably over Lamar. Um, I would I think I like Lamar a little bit better than Hyde, so I think that's the one spot where we'd be different. And I agree, I just you can't as as explosive as Coleman is, as good as he was with what hundred and looking at it, hundred forty nine touches uh, this season. I still think that Lamar Miller would have to be the guy over him. So yeah, just just on Hyde is the only spot where we would where we would differ. I, I would still rather I, I would still give Lamar Miller a shot over Carlos Hyde. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, yeah, we'll have to debate Hyde. I, I'm still kind of uh, bullish, and even though that offense is kind of a train wreck and probably mm-hmm. realistically still will be next year, I think he is the lone bright spot. All right, Fitz, we spent a lot of time there. Let's try to fly through some DFS talk for uh, championship weekend. Uh, so both games are going to be 
uh, I think, pretty spectacular. We've got the 60.5 over-under as the opener for Green Bay-Atlanta. 51 in Pittsburgh and New England. Not exactly a low-scoring game expected between those two teams either. Is there? I'm going to start you with the same question I did last week. Is there any one guy who just right now you're like, oh, yeah, he is in my lineup, no doubt about it? I mean, it's kind of the... Do you do you take Le'Veon or not? I mean, it's uh, mm-hmm. at this point I'm I'm inclined to err on the side of having him in my lineup and trying to um, you know pick and choose elsewhere. Um, yeah, I mean the guy who's almost a must I think um, at the price is I don't know maybe you would disagree, but at tight end, do you prefer Cook at 5100? on DraftKings or Bennett at 3,300. I mean, hmm. Atlanta having I mean, that vulnerability with yeah. tight ends a little bit, uh, Jordy's status uncertain. Um, I don't know. I mean, Martellus is an option, but I almost feel like Cook is a guy you have to use. It, it's And first of all, it's a hilarious world that we're living in. I don't care if there's only four teams playing that Jared Cook is the highest priced tight end, number one. I mean, that's just that's incredible because who would have ever thought that? I mean, there could be there could be one team playing, and we wouldn't think Jared Cook would be the highest priced tight end, right? But uh, so that's that's incredible. You know what would maybe keep me away from Jared? I, I definitely think he is the highest priced tight end. I don't think the uh, the price difference is crazy either. I don't think that him being eighteen hundred dollars more than Bennett on DraftKings, nine hundred more on FanDuel is a crazy spread. Um, I just think that, I mean, we expect these games to be so high scoring. And with Le'Veon, with the quarterbacks, with Julio, with Devontae Adams, uh, Deion Lewis, I mean, there are there are still some guys who are very high-priced, Who Antonio Brown. I mean, very high-priced, very attractive. And I think if you can scrimp at a position, tight end is the one to do it. Uh, so I do think... That I mean, that's the argument for going away from Jared. Sure, Cook. sure. Um, but I think, but I don't think that I think your argument makes a lot of sense. Also, he's I'm going to be definitely strongly considering him, but I think that I might lean toward just loading up at the other spots and trying to you know to hope that Martellus or maybe even Jesse James can come through with a, a productive game for me. Or hell, maybe Richard Rogers at the bare minimum, <laughs> twenty five hundred. Yeah. What yeah, about, and, I just think there are some options. Yeah, and the other guy I really like is uh, Devonte Adams at sixty six hundred. Yeah. I mean, I just yep. don't. Uh, with even if Jordy is back, you know, I don't think he's going to be in any condition to you know handle twelve targets. Could be wrong. He's mm-hmm. a tough guy, but um, you know, and even with Jordy around, Adams has become such an important part of the Packers passing game. Yep. Um, you know, the Falcons' secondary is really not to be feared. Obviously, we've got that bloated over-under number. There are going to be points scored in this game, and uh, you know, I, I like Adams' chances of scoring at least one touchdown and, and getting 70 or 80 yards minimum. What about you? First Any... guy I cli- oh, I'm sorry. First guy I clicked on, first guy I clicked on was Devontae Adams. Uh, there's no doubt he's going to be in my lineup. Um, other than him... Um, I, I'm gonna. I, I I am. I agree with you that it is sort of do I or don't I on Le'Veon. I'm going to try everything because I I still I err toward you just you gotta have him. I mean he's still you know it's different 
at this stage of the season, right? I mean, when he's playing, when David Johnson is playing, when Ezekiel Elliott's playing, there are a bunch of ways to go, but these guys are so productive and so consistent that, and he's now the only guy out there who's like that, and it makes him feel like an absolute must-have. Sure. So I feel like he's going to be right there with me uh, alongside Devontae Adams in all of my lineups. Um, and then the quarterback decision really is sort of decides, I think, where you go from there. Um, you know, Rodgers, Ryan, obviously, the the probably the maybe the 1-2 or the 1-3 or the 2-3 in the uh, MVP race this season, the 60-and-a-half over-under. They're the highest-priced guys for a reason. And then you drop down, and then you find Brady and Roethlisberger. Um, I think there are arguments for all four. I probably will avoid Roethlisberger just because of the home road splits. I mean, Pittsburgh won. Roethlisberger did not play particularly well in Kansas City. Um, Chris Boswell, the hero, of course, at least the scoring hero. Um, yeah, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, they are always there. They always do what they do. But Roethlisberger, not the best game we've seen from him. Now he's going to have to go on the road yet again uh, up to Foxborough. So I think he's the one I stay away from. I think there are arguments really strong for Rodgers, Ryan, or Brady. And I think that dollar for dollar, if I am getting Le'Veon, it might be hard to get Aaron Rodgers in there. I think I would maybe go from the bottom up and go Brady, Ryan, Rodgers. The thing for me with Brady is that we know the Patriots are going to score. Maybe they don't win, but they're going to score points. But the only guy who we know is essential there is Tom Brady. Sometimes it's Deion Lewis. Sometimes it's Edelman. Sometimes it's Chris Hogan had 95 yards in the game against Houston. Brady's the one constant. So I think that that's really the the best way to invest in New England, and maybe the only way I want to this week is going with Tom Brady. And then, you know, getting a piece of Aaron Rodgers via Devontae Adams or Jared Cook or both of them, getting a piece of Pittsburgh with Le'Veon Bell, getting a piece of, uh, of Matt Ryan with Julio Jones, and then going with Brady as my quarterback. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, whenever I look at building a lineup, quarterback is usually a starting point, and mm-hmm. this time you could almost work backwards and go shopping at the other positions and see what you have, <laughs> how much money you have left in the end. Yeah, and uh, which, I totally agree. I mean, even Roethlisberger, I can see a potential argument, although... God help you if you try to make a living guessing what the Patriots are going to do. But we know they like to take away one thing from uh, each opponent they play. And if they choose to take away Le'Veon Bell, which would certainly, you know, not be a a foolish choice. I mean, if they crowd the (laughs) box and, you know, dare Ben to throw and... um, you know, so I'm mildly intrigued by Roethlisberger as sort of a contrarian play. You know, mm-hmm. coupled with maybe like I kind of like Eli Rogers this year. I just have a feeling, you know, that Antonio Brown is going to see a lot of attention, and that maybe this is a, like a sneaky Eli Rogers spot, or maybe not sure. that sneaky. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I do think there are good cases to be made for all these quarterbacks, and you know, Ryan going against that Packers secondary is obviously very attractive and Rogers mm-hmm. uh so hot so it's it's that's going to be a really hard choice to make um yeah. running back I mean I I know as a Packer fan that the Packer running backs cannot keep up in the passing game with either Coleman or Freeman and it seems like Coleman hits on like one big passing play almost every game 
It really I mean, does. I, I can definitely, you know, I have horrible visions of, uh, you know, Coleman burning some of these Packer linebackers on a wheel route and, you know, just getting like <laughs> five yards of cushion and taking it to the house. So yeah. he is intriguing at his price. And, um, you know, I'm, I feel like this is Deion Lewis's time, you know. Um, mm -hmm. After the three touchdowns, you know, maybe uh, people aren't expecting a repeat, but I have a feeling it's going to be another Dion game and not a Blount game. Yeah, I, I think that I I agree that that's that's the way I'm going on New England if I'm going there at that at that position. Um, but I think I, I you know I'm going to be honest with you, Fitz. I sort of just talked myself into Brady here on Monday with what I I mean I was I was sort of considering all three of them and I was just going to see sort of where my mouth led me. And I think I just made a lot of sense to myself with the whole <laughs> get a piece of Rodgers through Adams, get a piece of Ryan through Julio, sure. and let Brady be new, your New England guy. Um, I do think that Lou – I mean, we talked about this last week. We talked about it a bunch in the regular season. We talked about last week how we talked about it a bunch in the regular season. New England has so clearly set up Deion Lewis's season to be coming to a crescendo at this point. I mean, they made it so obvious – for a team that never makes anything obvious, they made it so clear that they were going to have Deion Lewis up to speed and for their first playoff game and not a moment before and not a moment after. So I totally agree with you that he's the way to go uh, at the position. I think he is a great play this week yet again, like he was last week. Um, so uh, I don't know if he'll be in my lineups because of just the way I'm going to want to build him, but I definitely think that he is a strong play without question. Yeah. And at that price, I mean, I, I think you're still mm. getting a pretty attractive bargain on him. Absolutely. Um, what do we do at defense this week? I mean, do you just say, give me the cheapest one and what the hell? Do you say, give me the cheapest one for the team I think is going to win and that's it? Or do you actually try to put some thought into it? I mean, the only one that's kind of pricey is New England this week, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm inclined to... Uh, not go with New England, maybe at that price. Yeah. I just like I, Same. I can't see embracing and paying extra for a defense when you've got four offenses this potent. Um, exactly. You know, and I, I, you know, I'm not taking Atlanta just because Rodgers has been so turnover resistant lately. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't think there's the, you know, I don't see Rodgers having a three pick game the way he's playing. Totally agree. So I'll tell you that I'm what? No, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I, it's probably going to be either Pittsburgh or Green Bay, and I, Green Bay being mm -hmm. the cheapest, you know, just hoping they can capitalize on a maybe a Matt Ryan mistake or something like that. But, uh, okay. yeah, I mean, I almost think you got to get a little lucky with the defenses because there are yeah. no guarantees paying up for New England that you're going to get the best defensive performance. Well, what I was going to say was that I will be going with the cheapest defense tied to a team that I think will be headed to the Super Bowl, and I think that is a perfect segue for us to wrap this up and talk about the teams that we think are going to be playing in the Super Bowl. We did pretty well last week. I went 4-0, and you went 3-1. and Maybe we were saving up all of our uh, regular season misses uh, for the playoffs here, but uh, here it is, Fitz, Super Bowl Sunday, just a couple of weeks away. Next time you and I talk, we will know what the matchup is for Super Bowl 51 I'll let you go first uh, when it is uh, decided which two teams are we going to be seeing heading down to Houston. 
I think New England wins at home. I, I just can't see Pittsburgh going into New England and knocking them off. Um, you know, it, it's within the range of outcomes for the Steelers, of course. Uh, it's a really good team. Their pass rush is really picked up. And, you know, Brady did not look invincible against the Texans. And, you know, a, a better team, a better offense might have been able to knock off the Patriots on Saturday night. But, uh you know, I think we do see a better offensive performance by the Pats this week, and I think they handle Pittsburgh, um, slow them down just enough. You know, Atlanta Green Bay, it, it really does feel like one of those games that could come down to whoever has the ball last. Um, mm-hmm. I do think it's going to live up to its uh, billing as a track meet. Um, i got to be honest, Beller, if I'm going to be honest... I think Atlanta is the better team right now. I mean, I think they're a little bit better defensively, and I think they're a little more well-rounded offensively. And, uh, God, I hate to say it, and I hope I'm wrong, but I see the Falcons <laughs> winning a squeaker by a field goal. Okay. Um, I'm with you on New England. I think that they win that game. Uh, I, I think they, they protect home field. They exploit some of Roethlisberger's road weaknesses that they, uh, as great as Pittsburgh's defense has played the last, what, like six or seven weeks, eight weeks, uh, I still think that we see uh, a a step down in weight class uh, from Houston and that we see New England's offense uh, perform to that effect, basically that with the easier matchup that we see some more efficiency from Brady and that they ultimately come out with a win. I do not think they um, slow Pittsburgh down to the extent that the Chiefs were able to uh, this past week, but I do think that the Patriots move on to the Super Bowl, and who would have thought that uh, it would be the uh, Bears fan and not the Packers fan to pick Green Bay to go to the Super Bowl, but uh, I am not picking against Aaron Rodgers the way that he's playing, and that is no disrespect toward uh, Matt Ryan or the Atlanta offense as a whole, but with with what Aaron Rodgers has done the last eight weeks, um, seemingly getting better week after week after week and making, like I said right off the top of the show, plays that no other quarterback in the NFL would be making. Uh, he's the guy. It's more. It's a pick of Rodgers and therefore a pick of the Packers, but I cannot pick against him uh, with what we've seen from him for going on three months now. So I will say it is a Packers-Patriots Super Bowl in Houston this season. I hope you're right, man. That would be spectacular. <laughs> I think no matter what, we're going to get a good Super Bowl matchup. It's a really entertaining Final Four. Um, you know, the, the offensive firepower we're going to see on display on Sunday. I mean, yeah. you know, if, if the odds makers are on, we're going to see over 100 points scored this weekend, and uh, yeah. it's going to be a fun Sunday of football. Absolutely going to be a fun one. Following up on the Sunday that we had one week ago, we cannot wait for this Sunday. I know that you guys are all right there with us as well. Thank you once again for joining us here on the SI.com Fantasy Football Podcast this week. And, hey, let's uh, let's all wish Fitz and his boys a whole lot of luck this week. We'll be pulling for you, Fitz. Thanks, Beller. Appreciate it. <laughs> all right, everyone. We'll be back with you in one week when we will talk Super Bowl 51. Until then, thanks for listening. Talk to you all soon. Yeah.